The swamp without a still is just a tent. A martini without olives doesn't quite make it. And Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones. Listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis. Of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, Mash Minute. Welcome back to Mash Minute, where we analyze the 1970 Robert Altman film one interesting minute at a time. I'm Megan Coleman. I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Jennifer Lavasser, curator at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. Welcome back, Jennifer. Normally, I would gush over your job for a little bit longer, but I'm too busy being excited that this is minute 94. 94. 94. It begins with Hammond bragging about his football team in minute 94. 94. (laughs) And ends with Hawkeye explaining his plan to win at football to Trapper and Duke. And I'm so sorry because I just realized I don't think Megan listens to Star Wars minutes. (laughs) I mean, no. And it's not because I don't like Star Wars or don't like the guys. I just, I have, I, too many podcasts. Yes. There are... Thank you for listening to ours. Um, I was just going to say, there are too many podcasts in the world. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you for listening. It's very kind and nice of you. (laughs) I'm a big fan of Star Wars Minute because it's one of the shows that, well, it's the show that really kicked off the whole Movies by Minute concept, and that has been my gateway drug into becoming a podcaster. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a safe thing. And I, I do very much love Star Wars, and I'm glad to be amongst other Star Wars fans, Absolutely. especially since I have a note about Duke looking for some reason, and I love this because I've never met Tom Taylor in real life. Oh, I have. He's great. Hi, Tom, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tom. When Duke, when Hammond is talking about betting money and trappers getting the numbers and everyone looks horrified, I cannot read Duke's face, but I wrote down looking very Tom Taylor-esque, and I find that hilarious because <laughs> I You're don't... Pretty, I'm pretty accurate, actually, I would say. I mean, I know we're Facebook friends, but I was reading over my notes, and I'm like, the hell did I write this for? <laughs> it's kind of a look of bewilderment, I guess is probably a way to put it. And that's a pretty natural Tom thing, I think. It's just yeah. sort of naturally bewildered. and Bewilderment, and you're pretty sure your friends are getting you into something that's going to go badly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a good way to frame it yes i would agree with that yeah i actually met tom at the um star wars celebration this last uh april so mashed up those two things uh, oh It's funny, you know, I try to trying to understand characters in, in movies in terms of people that you actually know in real life is always a, quite a, an adventure. We do the reverse in my household, though. Everybody gets sort of uh, the persona of a character in a movie. We don't look at them and think <laughs> about ourselves. We look at ourselves and think about them. And so sort of a, got, we're in a Star Wars number here. So I have to tell the story that we were all joking around the table one night who each one in the family is like, who is, who is each family member. 
number in the Star Wars universe. And so I had said, of course, I'm, well, I, I alternate between Princess Leia and C-3PO because C-3PO is the nerd and Princess Leia is, you know, awesome. So um, I'm one of those. And then my older son is Luke Skywalker. That's just the thing he's wanted to, you know, he wants to be. And then my husband was labeled by my children as either Darth Vader or um, it wasn't Chewbacca. There was another one. And we all kind of giggled about it. And then my husband turned to my younger son, who was laughing hysterically at this point, And he goes, well, if you want to laugh at that, that makes you Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, you know, for a, like at the time, Fighting he was like words. five. He was yeah. just super, like, it looked like he was going to break down in tears, Aww. as most people would. But <laughs> yeah, we don't talk too much Star Wars in my house, if you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of myself as in terms of movie characters, but my therapist says that's not healthy. So I'm trying to cut <laughs> What? It's, it's not healthy to just pretend you're Marion Ravenwood at all times? What would Marion do? I, I wish I could be as cool as Princess Leia, but I have to say I took the Myers-Briggs test, Megan's favorite. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's not my favorite, but cool. Go ahead. I know you think it's crap, and I understand the like studies proving that it's crap, but I am, according to the little Star Wars breakdown, C-3PO, and my <gasps> first response to that was horror. Like, how Wait. could this be? And then I read the description, and I was like, actually, yeah. Wait, did someone take Myers-Briggs and then put yes. like Star Wars characters equivalent? Yes. Wait, so I can tell what, you I'm Yoda. What I have to Google. Sorry for the keyboard noises. That's okay. Someone has taken Myers-Briggs and applied it to everything. Well, everything I'm sure that's true, imagine. but I'm just curious. So I am... Oh, God, this is going to be bad. I can already tell. Yeah, I am Samwise Gamgee, C-3PO. Oh, I don't know my Lord of the Rings one. Now that's a good one to check. I used to know a few other ones. Oh, uh, Captain America. <laughs> It's the same thing as, like, I don't believe in astrology, except I absolutely believe in astrology because <laughs> I like being Leo. <laughs> well, no one's done it for MASH characters, so that's okay, I guess. Oh, well, now I know Missed what we're going to do during the right? <laughs> no one's done it for MASH characters yet, Megan. Yet. <laughs> we're already in minute 94. Someday we will finish this movie. <laughs> and I will have free time again. Look out, world. So while Megan is looking that up, I will take this opportunity to ask Jennifer, you mentioned you'd seen the movie probably back in the 90s. Like, what's your mash? What's your history with mash the intellectual property? <laughs> I let's see. It was on the TV show was on from 72 to what, 83. Three. So I vaguely uh, I was born in 77. So I vaguely remember it being on television, but I also vaguely remember shows like um, Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere and things that my parents would watch. And so I mostly remember it from when it started, when it was in reruns after that. So probably in the late 80s. And I don't think it really got the humor. It was sort of my parents' generation's humor. 
humor, and so I didn't quite see the appeal of it. But for me, it was there's a relevance, sort of a life relevance to the television show, at least, and that's the fact that there were always references in the show by Jamie Farr, a Toledo native, to the Mud Hens. And so growing up, I always knew about this connection because he actually was the sponsor of a women's golf tournament, an LPGA event in Toledo every year. And so it was the Jamie Farr Toledo Classic. Um, sad that I can like bring that up just like I heard it on TV just now but um, (laughs) he was a real presence in that area and so on television a lot growing up I'd see him I knew what the connection was I probably didn't watch that many episodes in part because I was still young and my parents probably thought it was not exactly the kind of material I should be watching I've never watched the entire show I mean it's a long time a lot of episodes to watch I don't even know where it's accessible but when I got to college one of my points was I want to watch like the classics and I at the time it was right around the time that the AFI 100 the original AFI 100 list came out and I just started working my way down it by going to get this blockbuster video Mm. and renting the movies and so I would go and pick these up on my way home from class and I'd take them home and I'd watch them and so I worked my way through as many of those films as I could and I think that's how I saw MASH I would imagine it's on the top 100 it definitely is yeah yeah. So, I mean, obviously I had seen things like Indiana Jones. I'd seen all those. I'd seen, I skipped around a lot. I just picked up what I felt like watching. And so at some point, probably in the late 90s when I was in college, I watched this and I didn't, I don't think I found it to be any more or less intriguing than the TV show was. Having gone back and being a bit of a sort of pop culture nerd, I always wanted to understand like what I always, I'm always interested in like shows that set records or or shows that make a real have a real impact or are known to be a certain way or have a certain point of view or you know like the the big name shows and why is it people hold them in such esteem and so I went back and I watched the final episodes and things like that knowing that they had been this tremendous moment in television history and you know I think I've probably been more interested in them lately because the later in life roles of Alan Alda have just been really intriguing and so he him as an actor it's made me want to go back and watch more and so not in the film but that's okay I think it's related yeah it's definitely uh, some uh, it's a sense of humor I understand a lot easier though the sense of humor the Robert Altman there are certain directors from that era whose mm-hmm. sense of humor or point of view I don't feel like I ever get I'm not a big Scorsese fan not a big Coppola fan I just I don't I just doesn't I don't mesh with it well. I don't find anything to connect to personally. So I think this film's kind of the same way, other than the fact that there are Jeeps that go around everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Helping you feel at home. Yes. yes, You know the Toledo connections there, even if they don't yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I own a Mud Hens t-shirt because of my love of MASH. And I've had people comment and be like, oh, you must be from there. And I'm like, what? And they're like, why would anyone not from there have bothered to buy a Mud Hens t-shirt? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they're not. I'll admit, I don't have one. I do have a shirt now of the hockey team. I'm not sure where the name Mud Hens came from, but their hockey team is called the Walleye, which was a fan suggestion. Great, great idea because that's what you catch when you go out in Lake Erie or Walleye. So it's a fish, you know? it's one of these like wacky symbols and I think that works well with the mud hen (laughs) because it's kind of wacky 70s 
sounding and weird and nobody knows really what it is. And so walleye is kind of an equally weird kind of a name for a team. So I think the Mudheads got their name. I'm trying to remember. Um, Mo Rocca did a podcast and he talked about Toledo on one of them. Yeah. And they're, um, and the Mudheads and the team that perceived the Mudheads. And I think it's because it, originally they played near a swamp and there's a lot of Mudheads near the swamp. That would make sense. It, you know, I mean. And so then they got their Local name. relevance. Yeah, because he, he was even kind of like, okay, what's up with the, like, hens, really? Like, baseball hens, like <laughs> yeah. birds, like fowl? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> There's a kid in my uh, kid's daycare class that's obsessed with my shirt. He's like, scary baseball man. <laughs> <laughs> Very intimidating chicken, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the wrong sport. How did this even happen? <laughs> Ah, Toledo, what have you brought us to? Yeah, Uh, so this is setting up that we're gonna... Basically, my question is, I had always assumed before doing this one minute at a time that Hawkeye and Trapper entrapped Hammond into playing football against them. But now that I'm looking at this scene, that's not what happens at all. No. No, if there is any of that, it's very quick. And I I think I used um, in the last minute the word manipulative. The manipulation is very brief. I mean, they want to steer this in the direction that benefits them or that is fun for them or provides some source of amusement or financial benefit or whatever it is. So clearly they're interested in making something happen that works for them, but didn't take a lot of effort to make this happen. It's sort of like this instantaneous. And I have to look for those like brief moments when somebody looks at the other character and it's like that knowing look. And it's so incredibly brief. It almost deserved a little more room to breathe. Like, you know, they hear him talk football and then they look at each other and it's sort of, ooh, maybe we can use this to our advantage. I think that's sort of a, you see that in movies all the time and it doesn't happen here. So it makes it a little less convincing in a way that it's so easy. Yeah. And because like Hawkeye's trying to play it off like, oh, I don't think we're in your league. Oh, we don't. And Trapper's the one pushing it. But then Hawkeye's the one who has the plan at the end of this minute that we're going to get into tomorrow of how to actually succeed so i don't know like when hammond gets up and walks away hawkeye and trapper have clearly already formulated this plan and i don't think they had it when he sat down yeah the turnaround time on this is really really fast and it's really and that's one of the things that i don't appreciate about the movie is that there are these awesome opportunities to let something just sit a little bit and it doesn't really happen it just kind of it's like super fast paced the conversations don't and it's a lot lot of that character development type stuff like relationship building or character development those things take a little bit of just pause sometimes to let the connection be realized and in this case it's just actually you're right because this comes up because Houlihan is a fanatic she won't even let us play football and we haven't seen that at all yeah yeah, that was one of the things I wondered about too. Is how much how how much editing has happened from what Altman <laughs> may have originally filmed? Because I know there's editing from the book version, but I didn't know mm-hmm. like Robert Altman is one that I know very very little about in his style, and and I know there's a lot of conflict behind the scenes in this movie, as I would imagine there probably was on a lot of movies back then, and probably is now too. But yeah, it's not something I was I'm really informed on. It's just very strange because I don't think. You don't question it. You could see Houlihan not approving of them trying to put together a football team, but there's been no, like, they're connecting two things just out of, like, that one sentence is all we have. 
to push us into the next movement of the movie, Mm -hmm. act of the movie, whatever the terminology is. But I'm going to be okay because we get to see Hammond and Blake interacting, which might be one of my favorite things about the movie version of this versus other MASH iterations. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Blake refers to he's something about he's been wearing the uniform since Pearl Harbor or before Pearl Harbor. So he's a colonel and he's been in the military for at least 10 years. I guess it's I I don't know a lot about how one moves up in the military and timeline wise. But if he was in the military before Pearl Harbor and then fought during World War II, my suspicion is if he's still in, he's probably eh, colonel's pretty high. I mean, he's one below a general. So it's realistic, but he's kind of a numbskull. So this is as far as it's going to go. Yeah, for him (laughs) to make the leap to general would just be a bit too, it would be too unbelievable. Yeah, well, and it's funny because I didn't look up how it worked before World War. Too. I know for a lot of the Korean doctors, and actually in the book, Hawkeye isn't drafted. Mm. It was one of those, we'll help pay for medical school oh. if you will serve as an army doctor for X amount of time or in the reserves. It's like an ROTC kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in the book, that is definitely what Hawkeye did. And I think what but he- the distinction is that Henry's regular army, like Hawkeye, that was just supposed to be a temporary thing mm-hmm. to get through medical school and, you know, tape people's rolled ankles yeah. out of basic or sort of thing. And then he wasn't supposed to be in Korea <laughs> in his yeah. mind. And so it was easy enough to take that character who in their mind is like, oh, I'm not even supposed to be here today and transfer that into the mind of someone who was drafted to be there <laughs> instead. But the idea is that Henry, while a surgeon, while a doctor, is a colonel first. Like being in the army is his career and he's in the medical corps. Yeah. So interesting, interesting note. Again, when I'm try, I'm always trying to make these little very tangential, you know, relationships to my normal life. There is presently a an army colonel who is a medical doctor serving on the International Space Station. His name is Andrew Morgan. He and I have communicated in the past about some things that he's um, got up there in space with him. You know, there's lots of different, obviously lots of different roles that these guys continue to play in different capacities. and, And so, but that, yeah, he's first and foremost, like Colonel Blake, he is, was first a military, uh, he's a regular army Mm -hmm. type and then got his medical degree as part of that. So it makes, you know, it kind of makes you wonder how true to life any of these kinds of people are. Were there really Colonel Blakes in the Korean War? Or how, you know, that's, and that's like, like I said, I mean, I think there's this, I'm always curious how when these things are based in some, to some degree in historical reality, I wouldn't call it fact, but a reality. Do they look for, and I imagine probably not in most Hollywood films, but do they find people who kind of are representational, you know, in the actual military? kind of model them on yeah well and i know that everyone in this story is in some way based on someone that richard hornberger knew when he was serving in a mash unit in korea with the nickname hawkeye 
But you end up, I hate to say smushing people together, but I've created characters that were, they started out based on someone I knew, but after you've been writing them for a while, they become something else and you combine different aspects of different people in and then someone said something really funny that is something this Mm -hmm. character would say. And so I imagine that the MASH novel had a bit of that to it, where it's like, this is... This is my fictionalized memoir. Yeah. And then having it go through all these different adaptations, you end up eventually with Hawkeye and Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, which is a totally different person (laughs) than how it started out. I do like that I know there are people who in real life this happens to where poor Henry has been trying to tell this story (laughs) since we met him. (laughs) (laughs) And all he ever gets out is, ever since the dark days before Pearl Harbor, I've been proud to wear this uniform. <laughs> and then Hammond's playing with the model in his, the model helicopter. Yes, it's I'm a helicopter, so as we are, have confirmed for us at least a few times. <laughs> yeah. It's like talking to a child. Um, and you, you, I'm sure, can understand this. It is something you think is completely obvious that they should know <laughs> and then they ask you the question usually more than once what is this or or they'll state something multiple times that is just you know it's like yes I've heard you it's the mom mom mom, mom. it's that there is a personality trait that is consistent with that here in in uh his assistant it's just very sort of like duh you just want to turn to him and say duh you know like how did you not know that or that's our kind of modern way of looking at it I'm sure but well here's my modern duh moment and it's it's not just a moment. I saved it for this minute, but I formulated this theory earlier. You will not convince me that the aide is not in love with General Hammond. Hmm. He lines up a girl for him, but watch their interactions. Watch how they treat each other. Yeah, I'd have I, to I look- mean I I realize, I realize, you know, I read the Iliad. Different cultures have different interactions between men and mentors and all that stuff. But look at the love beaming out of the aide's face as he says that the general was the best coach in the Far East. (laughs) You know, that's a really good point. I wrote down Far East because I always find those kind of anachronistic type terms very (laughs) unusual. They just, you know, to hear them, it's just so weird now because we don't say it like that or Oriental is another one. It's just like, oh, that's so weird and almost painful in a strange way. But you're absolutely, I think you're absolutely right. I think he kind of has this glow about him when he's <laughs> praising his own boss and I don't know if it's sort of that like I'm gonna praise him so that I mean just because I'm kissing kissing his ass or is it you know is it something else yeah because so. we, we saw them get out of the jeep together and it was very you know find me a girl but ever since he came and joined them sitting around just just watch the aid I'm telling you I think there's more to this story than this film was willing to let on. Yeah, it's not like homosexuality doesn't come up. It comes up, obviously, earlier in a very different way. But, yeah, that sort of... Again, that's kind of an interesting sort of, you know, undertone of that, being able to read that into this character, is how would that have been viewed back in 1951? And I don't think it is reciprocated. No. This is the love that dare not speak its name unrequited. 
Maybe. Because I we're going to see. We're going to see Hammond. I guess I took it more as like he just wanted to, like he was more infatuated with him. Like he really wanted to be him, not so much in love hmm. with him. And like okay. if he kisses ass, it's still only going to help, right? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to hurt the situation, but. Yeah, yeah but Volmer's a kiss ass. And yeah. He doesn't lovingly pat Blake's shoulder. That's true. Well, yeah, but Volmer's more. Yeah, I don't know. Volmer's more I timid. This I'm guy, really this this guy it. just seems like he, you know, unlike Volmer, who's kind of still new and is like rough around the edges. This guy like knows Wade. what this guy like. Yeah, he, he knows what he Wade wants. Wade Volmer. <laughs> so I, there is a small bit of speaking that Trapper does here, and mm-hmm. it's I'm not sure if I should interpret. Again, it's this sort of like, how do you hear or read what it is they're saying? They're talking about the money, mm-hmm. the bet. And he just uses, he mentions it very loosely, like how much that that this involves betting. Mm -hmm. And Trapper says, how much do you put into your pot? And there's a slight pause before he says the word pot. And it makes me wonder, is that meant to be a drug reference? Hmm. I mean, it's ever so slight, but yeah. it is. I listened, tried to listen to it multiple times because I thought, is he saying something else? Because he's talking about putting money into something. Like, is he talking about investing money in pot? No, what I like, and I just came up with this theory, so. Unlike my unrequited love, I'm willing to be told I'm totally barking up the wrong tree of this. Hammond first says, throw a little money into a pot and make bets. And I like the idea that Hammond used that without even thinking that pot could have another meaning. Oh, sure. And this is Trapper hesitating and deciding to use the slightly older word. Like you were saying, like, this is kind of an anachronistic word at this point. Like... To Trapper, well, to Elliot Gould in 1970, but Trapper, as played in this movie, pot means something else. And so that moment of hesitation is like, yeah, I'll I'll use I'll use the same word he used to, you know, make him feel at ease. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's kind of trying to make light of it in a very discreet way that, you know, Hawkeye would get. Yeah. You know, he's it's like an inside joke kind of a way of saying it. It's a generational divide thing. For sure. Yeah. It's just sort of pointing out the kind of silliness of using that particular word in this case, I guess. So, yeah, I, I, just the way I heard it sounded awfully strange. I, I, you know, again, not trying not to read things in, but with the, <laughs> sort, the sort of humor and the way these guys approach superiors in particular... Them trying to, like, do something like that or say something in a way that is they know they're not going to get criticized or caught for doing or saying something inappropriate. Mm -hmm. So he could say it like that and Hammond's never going to get it. He's just not going to hear it that way. I also love that Hammond's already moved on to, like, planning the scheduling the game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's very intense about his football as, you know, as is obvious later during the actual playing of it. (laughs) This, it's... You know, is he one of these guys that just, you know, he's a failed football player and he's obsessed with it? Or I um, feel like he has to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, somebody, somebody eventually brings up about it being for morale, that this is good for morale. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, but he's clearly got a thing for football in a very intense way. That somebody will be Colonel Blake in the next minute. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think it's Hammond. I screwed it up a lot. Oh. Um <laughs> Well, that was all I had for this minute. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. 
All right. Now I was going to ask, we got your MASH history, we've got your work, and then I was wondering, when are you going to start a podcast all about... (laughs) Working at the National Air and Space Museum. Well, you know, this is where I can step back a little bit and let somebody uh, else take the lead. The museum does have a podcast called Airspace, which I believe they're in mid-season maybe now, or they're recording a new season. I'm not sure where it's at. And there's definitely opportunities for me to be a participant in that. But I thankfully do not have to bear the load to be a host of the show, (laughs) which is kind of nice. I got plenty of other things that I uh, can continue to do without having to and it's way more fun to do ones that I it's not work related necessarily so I get a chance to indulge myself a little bit on other things well we want to thank Jennifer for being a guest extraordinaire bringing the Star Wars references and I think next minute we're gonna get to make references to another Lucasfilm property oh when we find out about this neurosurgeon that's going to help them win a football game 